right, welcome everyone to the One Ticket Four podcast. My name is Taylor Bobby, and I am joined by my husband Daniel Bobby. Hi, everyone. And uh, yeah, welcome to our new movie podcast. Uh, this is the first episode, um, episode one, if you will. And before we get into talking about our movie, I guess we should kind of explain ourselves why we decided to start a podcast um whose idea was it anyway (laughs) um yeah yeah definitely i mean i think i think it was your idea first of all i think uh, you were kind of pushed for it but i i definitely didn't scoff at it it seemed like fun (laughs) so that's why i'm here um but yeah i mean we've been we've been married for almost two years um we've been together for almost 12 years right so much uh, longer period of time crazy and so we're definitely you know we're well versed with each other i would say um and one of the things that we used to do uh in our life before uh, we recently became new parents is that we used to love to go to the movies and as part of going to the movies obviously it's a traditional date night you go see a movie and then afterwards you go to dinner you go to drinks you discuss yada yada really it's just an excuse to drink but um (laughs) Any excuse to drink is a good one for me. And so, you know, I think that's kind of what we're trying to recapture here. Uh, and, you know, if I if that's not accurate, you let me know. But I think we're trying to cling on to some semblance of our of our uh, pre-parenthood selves um, by mimicking that experience uh, in our living room on a Wednesday night. Absolutely. And just to kind of give a little context behind that. So the reason why this podcast is named One Ticket Four is because while we're trying to relive that uh, past memorable moment of ours um, before we became parents is that One Ticket Four stands for the fact that Daniel and I will go see these movies individually as kind of like our little break from having the wonderful day-to-day life of, with our baby. Yeah, we uh, we found it difficult, I would say, that, uh, to really get get the amount of time that we need to both go and uh, and see a movie together um, especially with how long movies are today, yeah. um, you know, you're driving to the theater, there's 15 minutes of commercials, then commercials lead into another 15 minutes of preview. So, you know, a two and a half hour runtime becomes a three hour, 10 minute with the commute uh, ordeal. And it's just a heavy lift, I think, for, for, you know, our family. We're lucky to have family that can support us and help us out when we need it. But we don't want to push it all the time, at least to the extent of like, you know, I like to see a lot of movies. Uh, it's probably my favorite thing to do, and so it's not necessarily fair for both of us to, you know, ask our our parents to, or your parents, my mom, to kind of, you know, be that babysitter while we go and, and enjoy ourselves with a bucket of popcorn um, or whatever. So uh, just easier, I think, to, to go the solo route, and which is great because I, I actually find going to the movies is one of my favorite, you know, solo activities. Exactly. And that's something we're going to be talking about uh, during these podcast episodes is our movie going experience, going to the theaters um, on our own, or even sometimes like we'll go like with friends or loved ones as well, too. But we're still like getting our own ticket. It's just the point is that we're not going together as we have before. Uh, Um, And uh, can I just ask, what is... I don't think you have as long a history of seeing movies on your own as as I do. No, I was going to say, this is something that you, I would say, are great at. Um, You love going to theaters by yourself, especially like you go and see a lot of um, independent films that maybe like haven't really like 
really hit a lot of the mainstream media about like what's like those popular movies. They're not as popular movies as like say like a Marvel movie or things like that. Yeah, I would say it was born out of necessity. Number one, because uh, I'm antisocial and (laughs) there's something fundamentally unapproachable about me, I think, that renders me a a solitary individual. Um, But also, I think my tastes are not as, um, uh, they're not shared, I I would say, by the people in my life. Uh, You included, Mm -hmm. um, you know, my my mom, uh, my friends. If I wanted to go see something like The Tree of Life when I was younger, uh, Terrence Malick movie that I love. Um, I was doing that on my own pretty much. Or, you know, just recently in the last month, I saw Past Lives, which is a fantastic movie. I went and saw that by myself on a Monday afternoon and had just a really wonderful time. So I, I greatly enjoy my company. Um, and I don't have any, uh, I don't begrudge myself the experience of, of seeing these movies alone. Absolutely. And I think that's something that I'm really learning to love myself is having that time with myself. I've always loved my alone time, but I've never been one to think that I can go to a movie theater by myself because it's always just been like an event thing where I'm going with friends or I'm going with you or I'm going with my parents. Like it's always just been with people. Um, I think I did it like one other time uh, pre-pandemic and it was weird because I was the only one in the movie. It was a horror movie. I was the only one in the theater. And then there was like two people who came like halfway through the movie. And I was like, this is awkward. Um, but I definitely am appreciating more um, now that I've done it a few times now. I'm appreciating it more going there and being with myself. And especially, you know, as a new parent, having some time alone for yourself, even for just a couple hours, is a godsend. So <laughs> definitely taking advantage of it whenever I can um, and going to the movies with it. True that. And uh, we should also mention, too, that as I, I talked about at the beginning, you know, part of the experience was the dinner, was the drinks. Yes. We're obviously not going to be having dinner because it's when you're podcasting and there's a microphone in front of you, you don't want to hear people chewing. Uh, some people do, I think, if you're into ASMR or whatever. Yeah. But <laughs> I think, you know, for me to be masticating like a cow uh, in front of the microphone right now. It's not the audience. Uh, it's not at all what I'm trying to do. So uh, but we are having the cocktail aspect. So. You know, why are we doing this? In, in my mind, yes, I love movies. Yes, it's a great thing to occupy our, our time. Um, not that we have a lot of free time, but, um, you know, but I think it's another excuse to have a cocktail on a Wednesday night, uh, which, again, not a bad thing. Absolutely. And, you know, it's also a bonding experience. It allows us to reconnect again. <laughs> um, given the fact that we are parents, we're constantly busy. It just kind of gives us a chance to unwind and, you know, just have conversation with each other. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, and so, you know, I... In in our house, I'm I'm typically the person who makes the cocktails. Yes. We have a bar. Um, it's it's an overflowing bar. If somebody saw it and wasn't fully aware of the context, they would think that one of us has a problem. Probably me, but uh, it's not the case. It's just you know I just enjoy cocktails and I enjoy the bottles. And a lot of them are actually legacy bottles. I would say yeah. they were inherited from. Uh, you know, a lifetime of sitting and, and collecting dust on the shelf. So Absolutely. Uh, and to be fair, we still have quite a bit of alcohol that you purchased from our wedding two years ago. So we have yeah. <laughs> See, I told you it was a good investment. You don't <laughs> you don't regret that. But uh, you know, my, my plan is to have as much as possible to have the cocktail that we're having with that episode kind of correlates to the movie thematically or, or in some way. So And I think uh, that's um I think it's a good segue into um our movie topic of this episode which is barbie um did i ever think that if we started a movie podcast that barbie would be the first episode we would talk about i don't think so but wow what a movie 
What a movie. Yeah. No, I was I was waiting for a Barbie movie before I started a podcast, so <laughs> this was opportune timing. I mean, what do you want to kind of just go into your overall impressions of the movie? Yeah, I think first impressions for sure. Um so my first impression, I saw it after you. And um so my experience with this, I actually did go and see it with my mom. So it wasn't technically a one ticket for, but I did buy my own ticket with it. Um, I loved it. And I mean, did I know I was going to love it because it's a Barbie movie? A part of me, yes. A part of me, no. I very much was a Barbie girl growing up in the 90s, going into the early 2000s. Um, you can take a guess at what my age is just by that uh, <laughs> information right there. Um but it was so fun watching because I got like a waff of nostalgia, um, reminding myself of how I was when I was playing with my own Barbies. But also just the overall theme of the movie, um, it was funny. It was like, it, it, there was a lot of emotion behind it. There was sad moments. Um, there were um, times where I did get like really emotional where I had a tear like dwelling in my eye. Um, and then it was funny again. So it was definitely a good, for me, it was a good amount of emotions. And it was more than, I think it was more than what I expected it to be, which was very satisfying when leaving the theater. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I saw it. So I did see it before you by a few days, um, just by a quirk in the, in the calendar. Uh, and I, I saw it with my my friend, uh, Marcus. Um, and so we're two, two you know, straight uh, hetero males, I guess, kind of going to see the uh, the movie on a Saturday night, which is fantastic um and i i really i really enjoyed it i it's kind of everything you want everything i want when i go to the movies because it is it's a lot of fun um there's obviously bright colors and and the set design is fantastic and the performances and the musical sequences and there's so much in there but then there's also the added uh, benefit of having the depth uh and the complexity uh, to the story and to the themes that greta gerwig and noah Baumbach are trying to you know, imbue the characters with and imbue the story with. And so there's like a lot to chew on. So it's like, yeah, I can, I can be there and I can just enjoy it at its merit at like for the movie that it is as it unfolds. But then afterwards, I think there's a lot to, um, to think about there, which is you don't often get the marriage of those two things, the kind of fun popcorn bubblegum spectacle. And then also, you know, the, the kind of more, introspective analysis that occurs when you see something that makes you question um, what it actually means. Absolutely. Um, so before we jump into like the actual like movie going experiences, I do want to talk about that. Um, do you want to talk about the kind of uh, feature cocktail that you grabbed? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. So yeah, obviously there's a lot of pink in Barbie. Um, Lots of pink. And, and so obviously I wanted to kind of go with that as, as a baseline for requirement for the cocktail. Um, and I, I was thinking, you know, if you do a Cosmopolitan, you can do like, I guess Aperol Spritz is somewhat pink or, or another Spritz kind of cocktail. It's summer or it's hot. That would be refreshing. Um, but because of the nature of the movie, I think because it's it's more than it appears to be and it somewhat subverts expectations for what someone would think a Barbie movie should be. Yeah. I wanted to put a little twist on it. So instead, what we have here, it's basically um, like a Negroni sour. So, you know, the components of a Negroni being gin, Campari and vermouth. Uh, but it's and the sour being the lemon aspect of it, uh, and then I also added um, uh, a strawberry simple syrup that was infused with thyme, and so it has a little bit of an herbaceousness to it and a bitterness to it that you wouldn't expect when you're looking at the cocktail. That's you know pink. It's served in a coupe glass, and it just looks like a pretty much looks like a typical cosmopolitan, um, but it drinks heavier, uh, yeah. and and it definitely has that bitterness underneath it that 
I think is fitting for, for what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. Uh, something that's pretty that has depth to it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I kind of want to ask you about your movie going experience because you saw it the next, the day after it, like it, like the release date. You saw it on that Saturday, uh, July 22nd. I don't even know what day it is anymore because that's yes. what happens when you're a parent. You <laughs> don't know what days are. Um, so you saw it that time. What was your theater like? Did you have a lot of people wearing pink? There were a lot of people wearing pink. I was wearing pink. Um, it was, I would say like a 70-30 split, male-female. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what I gathered, I didn't like inspect every row, but it seemed like there were mostly most of the males who were there were accompanying uh, a female or a group of females so I, I think I was you know one of one of a few who were not there in that circumstance mm-hmm. um, but I was actually a little bit disappointed with with the theater experience just because I didn't think that the crowd was particularly into it and I I I've heard you know other people that I know or, or seen posts about it people having these raucous experiences and people getting really into it, which is, you know, makes it so much more fun and visceral in the theater. Yeah. And I don't know if it was an 840 showing, so it wasn't particularly late. Um, maybe part of me is thinking that because of where we're seeing it. So, you know, I'm not going to say specifically where we are, but it's a, it's a more suburban uh, uh, city uh, outside of a larger uh, cosmopolitan city. And so, yeah. you know, the demographics are a little bit skewed, I would say right of what uh, the messaging of the movie is. So maybe that played into it in terms of, you know, people's reactions or expectations about the movie. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I know that I was having a great time Mm -hmm. and I was laughing um, at the places that I thought I should be laughing in. Not to say that every joke worked for me because, and we'll get to that, but uh, I just, I think that I was getting emotional and I was, I was expecting more of a response from the crowd and I didn't get that. Uh, what was what was your experience like? Yeah, so I also I was in a theater. Um, I saw it like the following Tuesday after um, its release date. Um, I was in a theater that wasn't very full, which you know it's a Tuesday night. Even though it's summer, kids are out and all that stuff. Um, wasn't very full. There were quite a few people in there wearing pink. I myself was also wearing pink. I had my hot pink blazer on, so I felt very appropriate for the movie. Um, but my theater was also not quite as, they weren't as excited as I was hoping they would be, especially like during the parts that like my mom and I thought were hilarious and we were like laughing out loud. And I think I even like turned to her at one point and I said, I think we're the only ones laughing in the movie. Um, but as the movie progressed on, it did um, spark a few laughs from other people in the audience as well too. But yeah, I was kind of hoping for the same thing. Um, but you know, we got what we got, and yeah. at least you know, if it wasn't going to be like super rowdy and having fun, at least it was quiet so we can enjoy the movie. Yeah, no, except for the thunderous applause coming from the Sound of Freedom theater next door. I oh, think okay. that's that's where all the uh, affection was. That's uh, true. I think targeted. I think the theater next to me was also playing Barbie, so <laughs> I think it kind of worked out a little better for me. <laughs> um, so let's talk really quick about the cast. Um. Margot Robbie as Barbie. What do you? What are your thoughts on her performance? Uh, the performance was fantastic. I mean, she's she, I, she's one of my favorite actresses. Probably like I think she might be the best actress of, of her kind of generation right now. Working yeah. in the sense that I think she does a lot of things that are a little bit riskier or more out there than mm-hmm. her contemporaries. For instance, Babylon, which you know came out last year, that was not popular um, and didn't really. 
it didn't hit, I think, in the way that they expected it. But I love that movie. I loved her. And her movie. performance is absolutely wild. And she's not afraid to get kind of disgusting and be just, you know, an unlikable character. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, this is the opposite of, of that, in which <laughs> she's very likable and very, very lovely. Um, you know, she's pretty much made to be Barbie, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, in the stereotypical sense, given especially that she's playing stereotypical Barbie. So, um, but there's a lot of, I mean, she she obviously vacillates from the, the bubblegum uh, you know, plastic, you know, everything is perfect Barbie to going into that existential crisis mode and really struggling or contending with these heavy things that yeah. are make her a bit more complex. So I thought she did a fantastic job. Yeah. I guess at this point, um, I should let our listeners know that if you haven't seen Barbie yet, um, we are going to be talking about quite a few scenes in the movie. So there are going to be spoilers. Um, I guess listen at your own discretion. If you just want to go ahead and listen to it without watching the movie, well, that's a shame. (laughs) Um, No, I totally agree with you about Margot Robbie. She really has become one of my favorite actors, um, especially after watching Babylon, like you said. Um, I watched that movie because of her. She really, to me, like really made that movie, Um, especially given all the very hard scenes (laughs) that were in that movie to watch. Um, But I also, you know what I really fell in love with her was uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. That's... I, I really, really liked her in that movie. Um, and her as Barbie is, like you said, it's absolutely perfect. Um, but also just the depth that she was giving Barbie, um, really showing the transition of breaking out of that stereotypical mold into trying to understand these emotions that she's feeling and how she's not feeling like she is essentially Barbie anymore. She's trying to grow out from that um, as a female watching the movie, I felt like it was very much kind of relating to um, almost just like growth in general, like just watch like growth of like a young girl who was playing with Barbies growing into adulthood almost. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, to get a little bit into her character, what I think works is that like, she's obviously, she doesn't want to be, uh, she doesn't want to leave her Barbie world no. and, and she doesn't want to be uh, invaded by these thoughts of death and mm-hmm. and the realities of cellulite and all, all that that all that comes with you know the human world kind of uh, imposing upon the Barbie world, but uh, you know ultimately I think what what happens with her throughout the movie and that she does very well is that there is this this crisis moment and then there's this you know I think she's trying to be self deterministic whereas before she was trying to be stereotypical Barbie yeah. and it ultimately ends up there like ends up with that realization and so obviously we can get there when we start talking more about what happens and yeah um and all that but yeah i mean performance wise i think you couldn't do any better and there was that great joke um that the narrator who i think was a narrator emma thompson no it was uh helen mirren helen mirren (laughs) um where she's basically said that if you're trying to I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was about Margot Robbie's casting. Yeah, it was something along the lines of, it was at a point where Margot Robbie's Barbie is very much like having like this complete total breakdown. She's saying she's not pretty anymore. She's not this. And then Helen Mirren chimes in as narrative saying, note to the directors, if you want (laughs) something along the lines of, uh, if you wanted someone to, if you wanted that line to be believable, don't cast Margot Robbie in that role. That's what it was. Great stuff. Very, very great stuff. The humor in this movie was just really on point for me. Um, so let's talk about her co-star, Ryan Gosling as Ken, which I mean, can I just start off by saying when they first 
announced that Ryan Gosling was going to be playing Ken, there was a lot of eye rolls. There was a lot of things, people saying that he's too old, he's too, like, he's not, he's not, like, pretty enough to be Ken, all these kind of things. But then they released that image of him with the blonde hair, with the washboard abs, and the denim on denim. And I think that point was the point that I knew I needed to watch this movie. Yeah, I mean, if Ryan Gosling's not pretty enough, then the rest of us are really in trouble. Absolutely. Um, where, where, where do you go from there? Mm-hmm. But he was he was my favorite part of the movie, actually, oh, yeah. um, which is, you know, the Barbie movie. And, and, of course, you know, Ken is my uh, show stealer. But, um, no, I thought he was he's, – he's usually great. I, I mean, he just does this thing so well. It's sort of the, the, the banal, you know, Ken airheadedness. Um, and and even, even with everything that happens with his character, he still maintains that sort of – you know, clueless, boyish, impetuous character um, that makes him, you know, uh, likable despite what he's ultimately, but despite the negative change he's affecting in Barbie land. Uh. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's fun, like going back to, um, you know, when I say people are saying he's not pretty enough, it's because like when you look at Ryan Gosling, he is not your stereotypical, like, handsome man. He's just got this like kind of charm about him. I think he's very handsome. Don't get me wrong. This is what I was reading that people were saying about him. But mm. um, one thing that my mom actually brought up because she wasn't like the biggest, and I don't think she still is like the biggest Ryan Gosling fan. She thinks that he's too deadpan and he doesn't really have a lot of emotion in his face. But I mean, in this movie... And man is like pouring out with emotions <laughs> and it shows on his face. It is just, it's so, it's funny and it's so like endearing at the same time too. Yeah. Very, very winning personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so great, great casting on that. Um, you mentioned at one point the set being very colorful and like just really awesome looking. The set is gorgeous for this movie. And I believe it's all like, it's an actual built set. There's not really any CGI for the set, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think they built it. I mean, I think it was also part of the marketing machine, which, you know. so cool. And I mean, just the whole idea that, you know, it's all open, just like very much how a Barbie's dream house would be. Um, She doesn't actually go down the stairs. She either goes down her little slide into her non-existent pool or she floats into her little (laughs) car from the top there um yeah everything's very colorful there it it very much is a reminiscent and people uh anyone who played with barbies or barbie's dream house especially in the 90s they will say that this is definitely a reminiscent of the barbie's dream house circa like 1995 because of the abstract colors it was very much um i don't know if you'll know this reference but it's very much like lisa frank which is that colorful like books that people that girls had back in that day that had like the colorful animals and things on it it was just color yeah. color 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 and a lot of pink no i don't have a, a strong provenance with with barbie or with like a lot of uh, you know cultural ephemera uh mm-hmm. that was geared towards girls in the 90s yeah. obviously i wasn't a girl in the 90s so <laughs> uh, and i'm not a girl now so it, you know it's hard for me to to get there but i definitely appreciate the artistry <laughs> that was put into it and it, it makes sense that if it is the 90s, that makes sense. I think given, you know, Greta Gerwig, I'm fairly certain, um, would have fit into that generation. I don't know exactly, you know, her, her age, but uh, I think, I think she's, group. yeah, I think she's in that same, you know, arena. So, yeah, no, it was, it was extremely well done. That's why, you know, when, when we transition to, and I guess we should, we should talk a little bit about like the plot briefly. Um, but when you kind of go into the real world, it is a little bit like, dispiriting as it's as it's meant to be right for yeah. you, from from the character's perspective especially 
So why don't we go ahead and take this opportunity to jump into talking about the plot of the film? Sure. Uh, just briefly, obviously, you know, it's a movie about Barbie. <laughs> in, in this case, um, stereotypical Barbie who's living in Barbie land. Uh, and it's a beautiful, idyllic setting and nothing bad ever happens. Uh, and then stereotypical Barbie is struck with uh, an existential crisis um, suddenly. Uh, and for, for seemingly no reason. Uh, and, you know, she starts thinking about death and there's cellulite and her feet are on the ground and it's all too much for her to, to handle. And so seeking counsel from the Barbie in this world who knows of such things, um, uh, weird Barbie played by Kate McKinnon, uh, she's effectively sent on a journey to the real world uh, where she is joined by Ken, uh, Ryan Gosling's Ken, whose existence is completely wrapped around getting Barbie to notice him. Um, and, and so he joins her, you know, pretty much he foists himself upon her. He actually hides in the backseat of her car. And off they go uh, through car and rocket and other means of travel <laughs> from Barbie land to Century City, California, where, you know, Barbie's going to have to find the person who's been playing with her and... I guess, try to fix her problems in order to solve the problems of, of Barbie land. But, you know, this this endeavor, as as most do, has unintended consequences, um, specifically with Ken realizing that in this world, um, people like him, which is to say men, uh, have, mm -hmm. have the power. And uh, he learns about the patriarchy and takes those ideas back to Barbie land, where he effectively radicalizes all the Kens. Uh, and um, then that becomes the sort of problem that has to be dealt with in, in the second half of the movie. And so um, there's a lot of stuff in there, obviously. You also have the, the addition of Mattel and the sort of, you know, meta uh, aspect of this story that's, you know, we can talk about that, whether that's successful or not. I don't know that. I think that's actually one of the, the failures of the movie. Um, but we can kind of get to that. But yeah, there's... That's basically what's what's going on. The Mattel folk are, are chasing Barbie uh, to try to get her to go back into the box to prevent some sort of mishap from happening with their their valuable IP. And so, but they're not worried about Ken. <laughs> no, no one cares about Ken. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, that was a really good explanation for that. Um, what were some of the scenes that you found were really like? What were some of your favorite scenes in the movie? To, just to start off with. Yeah, I I loved I loved the opening sequence and like the party at Barbie at Barbie's house uh, or the Barbie Dream House, uh, you know, just the dancing and while while I was watching it I had this thought I was like, wow, this is like, you know, this is big movie making here and I was thinking about Greta Gerwig and, and you know, just I was just excited to to be there for that moment. Um and then I loved you know, I I love the when characters from a fictional reality enter our reality. I've always kind of liked that shtick happens with some movies I love, like, mm -hmm. well, in Pleasantville it happens in reverse, but I was thinking about, like, in uh, in Purple Rose of Cairo, things like that. Um, and we can touch on that also as well. There were some movies that I thought, you know, this reminded me of, at least took aspects of. But um, I like the sequence, you know, going going to Century City and going down the boardwalk. I thought that, that was the first part of the movie that I thought was pretty, you know, actually heavy with... The fact that, but it's it's juggling these two dissonant things where it's like these really colorful and ridiculous looking <laughs> Ryan Gosling and Margot Robbie um, going down the boardwalk in Venice Beach and 
Ryan Gosling's having his fantastic time and he's loving all the attention and Margot Robbie's having a decidedly different experience yeah. noting that there's she's ill at ease and there's like an undertone of violence and I think that that really speaks I think to the disparity between the, the male experience in the world and our culture and, versus the female experience which obviously you can speak more eloquently to I think uh, from personal experience um, yeah, she she definitely explained very well the feeling of being under the male gaze, if you will. Um, it, it's something that you know every female has experienced at one point or another in their life. Um, so it definitely felt like a little close to home in that kind of sense. Um, I would also say that that was probably also my one of my favorite scenes too was that they're merging into the real world, but also just the journey going in there, the whole rocket ship the camper i think was my favorite one <laughs> that they had camper. and then also the um the bike ride through the um through what, what was it sweden or something, or something, <laughs> something was sounds right else. to me yes <laughs> um but i thought that was like just so fun and so colorful because i feel like there was at one point like a toy where you like had like this four set scene where it was just that like you go from like one set to another mm. to another i don't know if i'm making that up but it definitely seems something super barbie that mattel would do yeah um, one of my favorite scenes in the movie was actually the whole scene with um, in Mattel. So at one point, Barbie winds up at Mattel, and she's being told that she can go back to the to Barbie Land and just by getting into a box, essentially. Um, which you know, it's always like putting women in boxes, like putting them in a corner, things like that. Um, very much on point with that. And then Barbie, you know, she kind of has a sense of realization that this isn't right, and she escapes. Um, and she meets. Uh, Oh God! What was her name? Uh, Ruth, uh, Ruth Handler, uh, who is the creator of Barbie, and I forget what the actress's name is who played her in the movie. Do you remember her? Just the old, the older. Uh, I do not know, but that that scene was really touching. I would say very yeah. touching. Um, it was very much um, as a mother looking down at her daughter and just kind of in admiration almost is the kind of sense I got when they were first meeting. Yeah, I think also the fact that Barbie comes from this sterilized plastic perfect world right mm -hmm. and so when everything is the same um then the, your notion or your concept of what what is beautiful changes i think and so you're sort of what what we perceive as perfection becomes drab and and ordinary and what she sees in this woman as you know with all of her crevices that are well earned and everything that her gray hair and the weather you know they just the qualities of old age that you can't really capture in plastic or you wouldn't necessarily in a consumerist culture. Yeah. Um, she sees that for the first time and, and she appreciates it. And I think that's the first moment in the movie and, and for the character that she realizes that, you know, humanity has a lot of beauty in it also. Yeah. Despite the fact that, you know, we looking at it would perceive that in a different way through our lens of being, well, she's not perfect like Barbie is, but mm -hmm. that's all subjective. And even um, the scene prior to her being taken to Mattel was that whole scene where she's watching everything happen at the park, and she's sitting next to the old woman on the bench, and she tells the old woman that you're beautiful, and I love that the old woman said, I know I am. I'm sorry, yeah, I thought that's, that's actually the scene that I was just talking about, so I got confused as to yeah, what yeah, we were talking about. Yeah, I'm talking about the scene where she's in Mattel, but then she finds herself in that weird kitchen. Oh, yes, with where, the, with where the ghost yes. of... Yeah. Yeah, with the, the ghost creator. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, yeah, that was a different scene. So sorry about that. That's okay. Um, um both are really good scenes. Both are really amazing can, scenes, though. Can I say though about that scene? The whole sequence inside Mattel. Uh-huh. That's actually, I think, one of the weakest parts of the movie for me. I thought I liked Will Ferrell somewhat. Like I thought some of his lines were just absurd. Yeah. Um, and I'm not going to repeat some of them because they'd seem inappropriate. But they, yes. it was just like <laughs> they were. I, I definitely laughed at them, but um, I think that so especially the chase sequence. When they're kind of running around the cubicles and it's very, uh, that was actually a scene in which during my screening, uh, so I had a, a beer yes. during the movie. Yes. I felt like it was appropriate to have a drink uh, and I had to, to pee. And so I was thinking I can, tr- I can probably hold it because I knew the movie wasn't very long. But when I saw them running in that way, I thought this is probably a good time for me to take a bathroom break because... It was so choreographed. <laughs> it just, at that moment, I was thinking, if this is how this, the direction that this is going to go in, mm-hmm. then I'm probably, you know, I might leave a little bit dissatisfied, at least more so than I, yeah, than I expected to. And yeah. so I'm glad it didn't ultimately devolve in that way, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't wild about that sequence. Yeah. Um, I think like what I, so I actually did like a little bit of that scene. I, I didn't, I won't say it's my favorite scene of the whole movie. I have a, another movie, a movie scene that's actually my favorite, but I felt that I was laughing the most in that in those scenes because one, the choreographed running and chasing was just utterly ridiculous. It looked like something that would be in a well, like one of those cartoon Barbie movies that Mattel did produce. Um, it was definitely something along that lines. Very, very Scooby Doo, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, but I think my favorite part that made me laugh the hardest was when they're at the uh, the exit points. Barbie jumps over the exit. And then he's like, I need a key card. I need a key card to get out. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. <laughs> and then they get out. Like, I laughed so hard at that point just because it's, it is Will Ferrell in there. But kind of talking about Mattel real quick, um, the fact that Mattel was on board to, for this movie, giving the context of it, um, is very interesting. I don't really remember what articles I, like, where I found these articles, but I was reading somewhere that it was either Greta Gerwig or... Margot Robbie, when she got signed on as Barbie, like they were concerned that Mattel wasn't going to like okay this movie for them. But as we saw, they obviously did because the movie's made, and I think they're actually producers of the movie yeah, as well course, too. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it is interesting that they allowed that they gave the creative license. I would say to Greta Gerwig and, and to, to Noam Baumbach, mostly to Greta Gerwig, I think to yeah. to run with it in this direction. Obviously, a very wise decision because I think, and I think a decision that other companies uh that you know maybe are their mascots a mouse you know not to name any names but like they're notorious for not allowing their directors to express their creative sensibilities really and yeah. and when they start to do so they actually just fire them and and bring in someone who's going to tow the company line but if the company line is either a boring or b just confused and all over the place then you might as well just let the creative person have their license because that's why you pay them to do what they do because they're very, very good at it. And so Greta Gerwig is very, very good at making movies and and writing them and the like. And so, you know, I think that was a, a win on their part. But I, I do think that and and obviously the the joke of you know Mattel being <laughs> the CEO of Mattel being a, a man, which I think is true in, yeah, yeah, in the real yeah. world, mm-hmm. and and that whole thing. I think that was very interesting. But but I think where the movie doesn't and why I think this aspect of it doesn't really work so much for me is that mm-hmm. like it doesn't doesn't really contend with the the paradox that it presents which is that this is a movie 
that is supposedly in these in these ways trying to criticize or critique you know the parent company but ultimately it is a huge commercial for for Mattel for Barbie and, and it is you know peddling essentially it's progress it's perpetuating this consumerist culture around this toy and and this doll as as this like object of 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 consumer capitalism mm-hmm. specifically geared towards young girls that yeah. like it, it doesn't do anything to change that no, no nor should it I, I don't think it's not the place of a movie to, to do that necessarily but i just think that is like you you can't necessarily have it both ways you can't be wanting to take credit for you know uh, rallying against something or being revolutionary in this sense but you're also still you know, playing into the machine, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I I definitely feel that Mattel, first of all, was jumping on board to do this movie because I honestly, now we don't have cable, so we're not seeing like commercials for <laughs> toys and things like that. But I honestly don't remember the last time I saw anything relatively related to Barbie, at least in like the last like five, six years, like whether it's a commercial, whether it's some kind of advertisement or things like that. So I'm sure this was just kind of a way to resurgence the whole barbie franchise not just through the movie but also to get kids inspired to want to get the dolls again yeah i, I mean i think i don't obviously yeah we don't watch uh tv broadcast tv so like we don't we don't subject it to those commercials and even if we did they would be they would be airing on like nickelodeon and disney yeah. channel and uh, obviously we have it's a we have a, a five-month-old daughter who's not yet being able to dictate what we watch and yeah. so but eventually that would be the case but yeah, we're not being exposed to it, but I I do think that, um, you know, Greta, Ger- you ultimately this movie is a fantastic achievement on so many levels, not least of which is the fact that obviously we're watching this, we're, we're talking about this after the box office numbers have come out. This movie made one hundred and sixty-two million dollars over the in in America uh, at the domestic box office over the weekend, and it's the highest-grossing female-led movie of all time. And so, you know, it sets this precedent of a, you know, female filmmakers can and should be given the budget and the resources to to do their projects the way they want to do them. Um, and also, I think there's an aspect of now we're going to start seeing these companies, these corporations mining their IP that are targeted towards girls in the same way that the IP that have been targeted towards boys have been mined, i.e. superheroes and G.I. Joes and the like for decades. Yep. Now we're going to start seeing this proliferate in the culture too. And I think that that's sort of a double-edged sword because it's going to give opportunity to women and to not only to the, the creatives, but also to the audiences who, who grew up with those things, who have resonance with those things um, and nostalgia for them to the, the, the chance to, to do that. But I feel a little bit like, you know, not that it's going to happen, but will Greta Gerwig look back on what she has wrought upon this world when we hear news today that Mattel is looking to do their own Mattel universe of movies? Like, what is the consequence, unintended consequence of this achievement? And I think that's, you know, it's it's too early. Let's just, can we just celebrate this? And we just have this, yes, let's do that. But there is, there will be a, a domino effect because because capitalism cannot allow one thing to be good and for that one thing to exist on its own and to just be special. It has to just push it to its edge. 
Well, one thing I will say is that apparently Killian Murphy did come out and saying that he is on board to be a Ken in Barbie 2 should the script ever be made. Yeah, I, I, I saw that. <laughs> and I thought that was funny. But I also thought, because like I said, like what, what she has wrought upon the world. We're going to talk about Oppenheimer in our next episode because obviously yeah. this was Barbenheimer weekend and we both saw each of these movies. And I think that, you know, it, they're, they're similar in certain ways, which we can talk about when we talk about Oppenheimer. But, like, I think this point is, is pretty interesting because, you know, it, Oppenheimer is obviously lamenting his creation and what he had wrought upon the world mm-hmm. <laughs> on a much, obviously, more devastating scale than Definitely. this movie, whatever. <laughs> but, but it is interesting to look at it from that lens, I think, for, mm-hmm. for Greta Gerwig and for Marvel. Uh, sorry, Mattel. Yeah. <laughs> it was a Freudian slip, I guess. Um, I kind of want to talk a little bit about, you know, the, the like, I would say like this is the next, like the next supporting character to Barbie, which is America Ferrera's character. I wish I could remember her name for the life of me in, in that movie. Was it Grace? I think it was like Gloria. Gloria? I yeah. Think. Something with something, a G. Something with a G. But so she is the uh, person who was playing with stereotypical Barbie in the real world. Now, America Ferrera's character is a adult woman with a tween who is very, very highly opinionated about Barbie and just uh, women in general <laughs> in that movie. Yeah, I think the, so the, her daughter is an interesting character, actually, and, and that's an important part of the movie that yeah. we didn't touch on is that sequence at the middle school. Is it a middle school? Or yeah, it's at the middle school. Middle school because, you know, Barbie is coming to her thinking, A, that she's the person that she's there to help because she thought she was playing with her um but she's encountering obviously young girls young women in in this time period who are not as susceptible to the you know charms of of a doll that's projecting this you know image of of femininity that is not necessarily resonant with the moment and i think it's really like limited in its scope and so um that was a culture shock to her a culture shock, but that was a shock to her, I think. To and, Barbie. And, you know, to, yeah, to Barbie and, and to, you know, she's not able to understand why she isn't able to get through to her. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was interesting. And then, and I mean, I don't want to detract too much from her point, but obviously something else very important happens at that sequence in the middle school, which is with Ken. Yes. Um, going into the library. Which, can we just talk about real quick, like, why the heck are those misogynistic books in a public middle school's library. <laughs> I think you'd be shocked to find what is still on bookshelves in a, in a, that in a is very public school tr- library. Which is not to say that I think they shouldn't be there, honestly. I, I'm not in favor of censorship of, of, of any kind. Um, but, I mean, I don't remember specifically what the books were, to be honest. I, the word man was in quite a bit of well, them. Well, <laughs> man is a word in, in, man in, is a word. in our you know, in our language, and, and so it's not not surprising. But obviously, you're going to go into a library, and he's going to he's going to see the, the library is a microcosm for like well, it's not a microcosm, but it, it captures the history of like who we are. I yeah. would say, and so in that way, it's actually it makes a lot of sense that he would come out of a library filled with books mm-hmm. that are old and written by people from bygone eras, yes. uh, espousing the principles of those bygone eras and, and those principles still being the mode of operation for, for the world today. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not it's not so surprising that he comes out <laughs> with this notion of a patriarchy and he's enamored by it. And so, 
Oh, yeah, because even, like, in this whole sequence with Ken where he's realizing uh, the patriarchy in this yeah. modern world, I mean, he's even talking to a guy who after trying to get a job, just without any kind of credentials, he's just asking yeah. a guy if he wants to get this job, which is hilarious on its yes. own. But, you know, we find out from this person of the real, who's from the real world, this man from the real world, that, you know, it's, it's hard being, like, in his words, it's hard being a man right now, but we're just better at hiding what we're actually all about. Yeah, and that's where I think, I mean, the movie's at its sharpest, I think, with those moments of, you know, poking poking holes in, in this notion that it is, for men, it is a difficult moment right now, but difficult relative to what? Relative yes. to being, yeah, relative to our standing in society, and I say our, obviously, I'm including myself, but like, you know, I, I was... Well, never mind. We don't need to get into my, my experiences or my, my thoughts, particularly on patriarchy or, or men in general. I'm not a fan. Uh, I'm a self-hating. Whatever. It's not important. But um, Let's just say that Daniel has a very high respect and regard for women. Yeah. Well, I was raised by women, right? I was raised by my, my mother, my grandmother. Um, and, and obviously, I have a wife now. I have a daughter. Not that any of those things are prerequisites to like, you know, just being a good person and empathetic and not being a total asshole like mm-hmm. I, you know i don't know if we can i don't know if we haven't established whether can we curse on this podcast oh, fuck yeah <laughs> that was a little intense there go bigger go home <laughs> okay. anyways i've already had two of your like delicious cocktails so <laughs> yeah um i i think i mean so you were talking about the, the sequence with uh gloria yes and not the sequence but her character yes because her character, actually, to be honest with you, was probably the person who I resonate with the most because now I think, and at this time in my life, like, I think I resonate a little bit more with her But as far as, you know, I am a mom, but I don't want to be, like, an overbearing mom. I want to have a job, but I don't want it to dictate my life. Yeah. Um, I want to have family and friends, but I'm, all, I'm hanging out with my family and friends, but I'm also incredibly tired. Like, I think, I think a lot of... America Ferreira's um, character as Gloria in that movie was very much representative of, like, the modern-day woman of how... And she she had this amazing um, monologue yeah. in the movie that, that... That's where I really got a tear to my eye was in that sequence. Um, I actually even read that Meryl Streep read that whole sequence, and she said she wants to say that monologue somewhere, which is, like... You know, Meryl Streep has a lot. She, she, she lot. doesn't <laughs> need... Let America Ferreira have that. Yeah, exactly. I would say it to Meryl Streep. <laughs> exactly. All due um, respect. But, yeah, so America Ferrera says this amazing monologue talking about, like, just the, the the caveats of being a woman. Like, we want so much, but yet we can't show that we want so much. And it, I think for anybody, any woman in this day and age, I think they can all resonate with that. And that's that's where I really kind of felt connected in this movie. I agree. No, that scene was incredible. And I, 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 got, I got teary-eyed in it. Um, and... And honestly, that's kind of the scene that I thought would have a bigger reaction from the crowd, and I was disappointed that it didn't. But, yeah, same. but yeah, I think she's sort of you know speaking truth to a lot of uh, experiences that I, I won't know firsthand, but I've definitely seen. Yeah, and I understand on a, on a human level, and so um, you know the the inherent contradictions of of womanhood and the impossible like pedestal that we put. Or expectations that like we we put upon women mm-hmm. in society to be everything at all times are just not realistic. And sometimes, and and I, what I liked about that too was that she she even mentioned. I think she said like, um, 
what was I don't remember the, the specific line, but she was talking about this the the Barbies themselves and mm-hmm. you know the occupations that they represented. But even that, and I, and I agree with this, is that e- even those things are not necessarily positives, net positives, yeah. because it, you're saying that it's aspirational. Then, for of course, you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be an astronaut, you're going to be all these things. You're going to be the president, mm-hmm. but maybe you don't want to be president, or you're an astronaut, or a doctor, or a lawyer, and maybe you want to be a mother, and that's okay. Yeah. Or maybe you want to be both, and that's okay. But like the 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 limitations of the doll being a a doll that is manufactured for mass consumption mm-hmm. by a culture <laughs> that defining the the ideal form of what a woman, a girl, what have you should be is is not, I think, ideal. Uh, I'm thinking about it even like in relation to we have a, a, a young daughter. Like, would I want her to play with Barbies? I don't know. Like, I, obviously, I wouldn't stop her if she wanted to. But I think that on an on an intellectual level, which it wouldn't enter into like a, you know the the mind of a of an infant or a toddler or whatever. Right. Like. I don't think that Barbie as a role model is makes a lot of sense. Like I don't for boys, I don't think we have what is a boy equivalent of a Barbie in the sense that it's like maybe it's like a GI Joe which has another problem which is yeah. like the the promotion of this like military industrial mm-hmm. whatever, but which I also don't subscribe to, but like we don't have dolls or, or action figures that are like here's a here's Atticus Finch from, yeah. you know, here's an attorney, here's is a, what is that? What is it? Here's a doctor doll. Like we don't ask boys to engage with that. And I know part of that is because we're still coming out of this very recent period in history where where women were relegated to like these subservient positions and and yeah. just you know expected to be home runners or whatever housewives. Right, that's the whole uh, opening sequence of the movie. Yeah, yeah. No, so I I understand why it's, but I just wish it, it, that is a relic to me of of like a bygone era where even that which seemed progressive and which seemed positive at the time, I think is is not necessarily so anymore. No, absolutely. And I think that was uh, one of the things that really, um, for me, was a really uh, home hitter for that. So the scene was as uh, Gloria is talking to, again, I'm going to call her America Forever because I'm not 100% sure her name is Gloria <laughs> at this point. But as America right, Forever is up. talking to um, Barbie, Margot Robbie's Barbie, who the reason why she started talking about this is because she she's so disheartened at the fact that this Barbie who she idealized, who she always thought was perfect, who she always thought was pretty, this Barbie is now at, at her lowest low. She's saying she doesn't feel pretty. She's not pretty. She doesn't know what her purpose in life anymore. She says, if Barbie feels this way, then what's the like? What do the rest of us have? Like, right. And that's really where it kind of clicks in my head that you know having all these. Um, occupational Barbies, like the, like you said, Doctor Barbie, um, even freaking Mermaid Barbie, like what? all these, um, like President Barbie, um, Lawyer Barbie. It does really kind of set a unrealistic expectation of like you have to be like for young girls, especially you have to be one of these things, or you're not like they're you're not really doing yeah. anything it, it's reductive and it's reductive in a purely capitalistic sense because it, and it's not specific to just girls no it is in this context because we're talking about the doll that is marketed to young girls mm-hmm. but like for example we were recently at a party a birthday party yes. and i was engaging in conversation with someone i never met before and you know the first thing that they asked me is what do you do 
Now, what they mean by that, obviously, I understand the context. They mean, what do you do for money? Yeah. What do you do for work? Which I understand. Like, you're, you're at a party. You don't know someone. You're, you're just trying to make obsequious banter to make the time pass. That's fine. But I think I hate that question so much because it doesn't say anything about who a, a person really is. I think if I define myself or if I define my success by the, the job I have, the position I have, the degree I have, whatever the label is, it's ultimately still a label. And yeah. that's all that those Barbies are. That's why it's like it's just when you call something lawyer Barbie or president Barbie, mm-hmm. you're putting the label before the name <laughs> well, and the name is obviously not unique because it's a brand, but like it's if, if 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 someone is a doctor and they're Jill and they're Dr. Jill, well, we're putting the label, the title before the name, giving that more consequence. Um, and, you know, maybe that person wants to consequence. Maybe that they want that because you spend a lot of money and a lot of years going to become a doctor. And OK, but but ultimately, I'm saying it doesn't like mean anything yeah exactly uh, and, and and that's kind of a, it was kind of an interesting thing going into the theater and then taking having that be a takeaway from watching the movie because uh, you know i'm sure you felt this way too like as a, a new parent but like more specific, more specifically like as a new mom i feel like there are times like where i almost kind of have like my own like slight identity like not crises but just like questioning like okay well because before having a kid like i was really all about like my job and everything right and I want to do that now I became a mom and it's like well I don't want to just be known as like the mom I want to like still like I still want to be my own person but still have these just like these many attributes in my life that I'm a I I have a job I don't want the title of working mom like that's just that's so old hat it's like I'm just me yeah this is like these are aspects of my life yeah and even even working mom is ridiculous because like you've said like yeah. we'll have a working dad that's not a that's not a concept yeah, so it's one of my biggest pet peeves right now it, you know we i think right we we don't need you as a mother as a as a working professional as a person like those those things are those things are part of who you are but they're not all of who you are mm-hmm. and uh i think you know to paraphrase bob dylan we contain multitudes and and, and that's that's the human experience is that we are very complex layered people well, most of us. I mean, there's some simpletons out there who I don't want to have anything to do with. But, <laughs> but really, I mean, that doesn't mean anything. And, and that's where I think that's another kind of you know issue I have with the movie is that it, well, I think it, the movie tries to have it both ways, and we yeah. can get the, to the bigger point I think that I'm going to make about that. But yeah. I was reading an article this morning in the Atlantic. I think uh, let me just get the the I think her name the author of the article is Megan O'Rourke. And in the article, one of the things that she mentions is is Weird Barbie yeah. and how in the world of the movie, Weird Barbie is explained as um, someone who was played with too roughly yes. or not or like kind of neglected in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but she brought up an interesting point, which I, I don't know if it resonates with you but, or, you know, I think probably the reference point was from the 80s and the 90s. But like she mentioned that in her experience, her and her friends had Barbie similar to Weird Barbie, not because they played too roughly, but it was an act of intentional like aggression and and sort of rebellion against the the imagery that and, and the the image that was being put forth of 
of the model woman like they they intentionally cut her hair and dyed it yeah. and did all this stuff to it to to reflect that we're not just this one thing we can be multifaceted you can look like that and still be a doctor or a lawyer and and project you know self confidence and and still not have perfect hair or all all that stuff so Absolutely. i thought that was a point that like i'm sure and and she mentions in the article like she's she was certain too that like Greta Gerwig is aware of that i just don't know why it wasn't why wasn't that part of it it, it just seemed like they kind of skirted over that a they de- bit. they definitely were kind of they kind of kept referring to the fact that you know like that stereotypical barbie margot robbie's barbie did not want to end up possibly like weird barbie because she didn't want to be weird and ugly were her terms which she's not ugly by any means at all she's just a little quirky looking but i actually i did i never like did like anything like super crazy with my barbie dolls i did have one friend who would literally take barbie heads and put them in the microwave that's a whole other sounds like sid from toy story a little bit um but what i used to do because i had much more prominent freckles as a kid and none of the barbies i had had freckles so i remember for whatever reason i took a blue pen and i made (laughs) freckles on my barbie dolls like all over her face all over her body like anywhere like the skin was exposed i would put freckles on there and i remember looking back on it like a couple years after the fact and i'm like why did i choose blue (laughs) all the freckles but i wanted to have a barbie that had freckles on it so yeah, so you know, it wasn't it wasn't an acting out. I mean, you're trying to get something that I want representation. Represents, you know. Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily. I mean, that's a physical attribute, but like, you know, all the there's there's internal struggle that we have like you're projecting this perfect image, this perfect doll that's yeah. proportionally exact as you, you know, whatever the standards are of beauty mm-hmm. and plastic veneer and there's not a blemish on you anywhere and so, you know, you make it what you want yeah. because it's more of a reflection of who you are. Absolutely. Yeah. So I kind of wanted to talk a little bit about the overall, um, I guess, like the theme of the movie. Because we've talked about like there are moments where where we like got teared up. There are moments where we were laughing. Um, Was there anything about the movie that like, do we kind of feel like there was a little bit of a, a disconnect because of the different kinds of emotions that were in the movie by any means or... Um, I don't. I don't know if there was a disconnect because of emotions. I. I think, you know, we've kind of touched a little bit on on some of the broader themes. I think, but like, the thing that I took away from the movie, and, and why I ended up coming out of the movie really liking it, was, you know, wh- where do we end up? Right, Barbie. Barbie starts out as obviously stereotypical Barbie, and she's content to live in her world. Yeah as it has always been this perfect place and then it's this mess is introduced um and she has to go and rectify that yeah. and in doing that obviously we talked about the consequences of ken's coming we didn't really touch on it well we touched on it but maybe we didn't get into it enough like with the ken's being radicalized but like uh, well actually let me let me let me start there first with the ken's being radicalized because yeah, this this also that. like i think goes to a broader point because i think we mentioned a little bit like the ken's are obviously in this world I think I use the term second-class citizens, right? And so if the Kens are like a proxy or stand-in for, you know, marginalized people in our society, uh, people who have been relegated to second-class citizenry because of, well, really there's no good reason, but there's just, it's just the way it's always been, right? The status quo is, this is how it's always been. That's been the justification for a lot of, I mean, that's the whole, I think, notion, not, not in a, 
political sense but an ideological sense about conservatism is that you're trying to conserve the way things have been mm-hmm. which is why I, <laughs> I've, I've rejected that notion for yes. a min- all of my life um, because I think we're, we're constantly trying to progress and progressivism is the notion of trying to attain something to, to make something better mm-hmm. you know we realize the folly of our ways and like we're not perfect people yeah. and the, I think the goal is not perfection but the goal is to just improve yeah, iteratively absolutely. like to just keep on getting it better generation to generation year to year it's mm-hmm. a slow process but it will happen eventually I believe that wholeheartedly but like you know these people in Kenland which is not even a land they're just a, a, they're like a an unincorporated what, like what county. It, what do you call it? It was like Kendom. Yeah, yeah, his Kendom. <laughs> like they've they haven't they've been like you know, I guess subjugated to for lack of a better term, or at least like just kind of cast aside and forgotten. Yeah. And so, when looking at the movie as like a as a stand-in as a, for for people who people who are forgotten, people who are aggrieved because they have kind of slip through the cracks of society and and they're not necessarily you know politicians on a on a national stage don't pay attention to them and and the issues that afflict their daily existence aren't issues of consequence for these people there's obviously a lot of angst and yeah. anger that that resides in these people and and oftentimes they they come out they come out sometimes in like really horrific ways as we've seen throughout like our history and even our recent history and so like looking at the Ken's <laughs> plight through that lens is really interesting, and it's not to not to justify it, but it's like no, definitely not. It's it, it it's interesting in the context of this being a feminist kind of story because this is it's a mirror of our world in reverse, and so I think the the framing of their plight through Ken when it's kind of mirroring our reality when where the women are the ones who have historically been subjugated and yes. and kind of cast aside as second class citizens is is a really clever way to present that issue particularly for for men you know Ben Shapiro notwithstanding because I, I wouldn't consider him a man but like you know who who would take issue with that sort of presentation and obviously people who take issue with that are going to take issue with it for for whatever reason, but I think that they're missing the, the point, which is like, if you're saying that this is a woke, and just to use that loaded term, mm-hmm. movie, like, okay, there's a reading of that, and, and there's certainly a lot of like elements of it that are pretty out there, and 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 that's fine. You can feel however you want about that, but ultimately, like, I think what the movie shows is like the shortcomings of, I think I said it to you yesterday, like the shortcomings of dogmatism yes. being like being like if you're if your whole existence is is predicated on one element of your being, in this case, like there are Barbies, they are Barbies, and that defines everything about them because they rule this land. Those are Kens. The Kens don't stay after midnight because it's always Barbie girl time. Mm-hmm. And on the contrary, you know, if you're Ken and you're going into Century City and you're seeing that men have dominated the world for the majority of of you know, human civilization. Yeah. Uh, well, all of it, really. Um, you come away thinking, well, this is what I'm owed. This is what I deserve, and this is what this is what I'm going to take. Yeah. And so you go and you do that, and the consequences of that are also unintended. And I thought it was so funny. I mean, to kind of lighten it a little bit, like you know, when when Ken when Grind Gosling is like, 
what it was the line? He's like, you know, when I found, as soon as I found out patriarchy wasn't about horses, I lost interest. <laughs> that was probably the funniest line in the movie for me. That was one of my, that was so good. And because he didn't, he didn't really mean to do it. He yeah, just, yeah. all he wanted was a little bit of like attention. He really, he, at the end of it, like my, per, my feeling about it was, especially when he's talking to Barbie after he's already like overtaken her dream house. He's changed the name of the land. He's already like gotten like several other Barbies hypnotized into this whole thing. Is that and this whole thing was really just a way one to still get Barbie's attention in a very bad way, but also at the same time, um, this is him like taking his like little. I don't want to say it was revenge, but it's him like saying like you know, I'm worth it. Like I need I I'm worth this attention, and you're not giving it to me. So this is what I'm gonna do. Like it was a, it was it's very petty. Like oh, it's extremely petty, and yeah. it's it is it is a cry for like that that attention. Like well, you're not gonna. If you're gonna forget me, or I'm gonna, you know, I'm I'm not part of the cool group mm-hmm. or the the group that's like in whatever deciding, you know, anything of importance in, yeah. in this world. Well, you know, once you get to that position, then you know he becomes he becomes a cult leader. He leads a he, cult of Kens, yes, exactly. and they do brainwash the the Barbies into like doing their bidding or I don't know what mm-hmm. they're even they are cheerleaders the supreme courts are they're cheerleaders yeah, and the president yeah, that's exactly like, what they are you know they, they make a mockery of it mm-hmm. uh, you know somewhat a, a real reflection of, of how women were treated or have been treated you know in in the are real world treated. yeah and are still treated and so you know that th- was but what I think so I feel and we can kind of get we're kind of getting into the end of the movie but so I was conflicted by by the ending mm-hmm. and I, I don't know how you know you felt about that. I, I know exactly where you're going with this, but before we get into like the yeah. slightly heavy stuff, I kind of want to talk a little bit about the funny things we're having in that scene. Ryan Gosling's '80s ballad that he had battling the kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So if you, if anyone out there is a Ryan Gosling fan, you'll know that he has been in. A, he was in a movie called La La Land where he does sing a little bit. He has this 80s ballad in this movie that is, uh, it's his ballad that he sings while he's battling another set of Kens because what happens is that the Barbies, they turn the Kens against each other, basically, which is so typical. Well, in a hilarious way, because (laughs) is this not where they, where they devise a plan to allow the Kens to sing to them? Yes. Which which is so That song. That song, I do not remember what that's like, what the name of that song is or who sings it, but it's it's a Matchbox 20 song, right? Is it a Matchbox? I I honestly don't know, but I, if you know the song, you've heard the song, it was very popular in like the early 2000s, and it really is not a a great (laughs) song. Um, but yeah, so they devise this plan to get the Kents against each other, and more specifically, Ryan Gosling against, uh, I want to make sure I'm saying his name correctly Simulu, Simulu's, uh, Ken, because they have this like rivalry throughout the whole movie, yeah. and they're just, and the song is just it's so incredible. The whole scene is hilarious. They are pretending to be riding horses, not actually riding horses. They are just doing the little gesture as if they're yeah. holding the reins and galloping along. It's so funny. <laughs> I agree. That's why I love about this movie is that it you can enjoy all of the pageantry and the spectacle and the ridiculousness that they're presenting for you because that is a fantastic way to spend a Saturday night in the cinema. And then yes. you can come out of the theater and if you don't have a five-month-old 
baby at home. <laughs> you can go out with your friends and with your whoever, your group, your people, and and you can kind of you know enjoy that, and then you can start to dissect it, which is kind of what we're trying to do here. Absolutely. But yeah, that I mean that the I think that's the sequence too, where like it's sort of like a visual homage to Greece, right? That's what I very because they're wearing black T-shirts and they're kind of like. Dancing, kind of. I was thinking of the scene, the the grease lightning scene yes. in Greece, um, and so that's. I was just like, this is so great because I, I love Greece. Obviously, I love musicals, mm-hmm. um, and all that was was really fantastic. Yeah. Um. So, kind of leading into the topic you wanted to uh, talk about. Um. So, at, towards the end of the movie, or at the end of the scene, the eighties ballad happens. Um. And the Barbies are able to take back Barbie Land. So all is well in that sense and ken realizes that you know he's he feels like he's nobody without barbie and barbie doesn't want to be with him um but you know he finds out from he gets this uh what's the word i'm looking for he basically talks to barbie and barbie basically assures him that you know you are should just be you should be okay with just being yourself and you are enough um which then leads into all the kens kind of feeling like you know they are enough or as Ryan Gosling's shirt says at the end of the movie, I am Kenuff. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so silly. <laughs> um, but I feel like you were kind of leading into the topic of Issa Rae's comments. Issa Rae plays President Barbie in the movie. Um, and at one point, the Kens, one of the Kens, I forget what the actor's name is, but he asks if they could have their own Supreme Court or the if the Kens could be a part of the Supreme Court in Barbie Land, which in Barbie Land, all the Supreme Court is all women. Yeah, I don't remember the actor. I, I actually thought it was Simulu, but it, maybe it wasn't. No, um, but it's not relevant. Yeah, I, I think this is this is part of the movie where I think that it kind of contradicts what it's trying to accomplish in some ways. Where like the Kens have clearly are clearly taking the place of women in Barbie Land in 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 the sense of of you know that they they have been relegated to this position of of no power, um, and so. Obviously, we've gone through this ordeal with them where they have forcefully taken power, uh, and so that's not ideal. Yeah. Um, but in the aftermath of that, you know, in, in, in kind of with hindsight of everything that's occurred and, and Barbie's, you know, epiphany, um, I, I just expected that there would be an opportunity there to, like, you know, try to not reflect... A, 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 it basically goes back to the way the world was at the beginning. Nothing really changed um, for the world writ large, I don't think. Because, you know, if you're... And I understand why they did it. Like, it's not like, you know, women have, as as we've talked about throughout this, they, they've, they've been in, in a not ideal position, to put it mildly, I think, you know, in, in society. And... You know, here we have Barbie Land in this fictional world. Like, can they just have that? Can they just have Barbie Land? Yeah. I think yes, obviously. They can just have Barbie Land, especially because this is a movie and Barbie Land doesn't exist. But, you know, if we're talking about it, this is a facsimile of our real world and what in the direction we would want to take. If we want to make it aspirational, which I think art should be aspirational. It doesn't have to be, but it, it could be. And I think a movie like Barbie, it's a it's a summer blockbuster. It's ultimately like a feel good movie. I think there was an opportunity there to have a little bit of a different like tone or, or tenor, mm-hmm. where the women wouldn't just kind of 
you know, do what the men have done in our world. And, and women being <laughs> maybe, again, maybe this is projecting like an aspiration that isn't desired from, from women. You tell me, but like, you know, I, I've always seen them as more enlightened and, and, and <laughs> a little bit smarter uh, than, than men and maybe, you know, better equipped to actually affect changes in sort of a positive direction. And so there was an opportunity there, you know, where they say, well, we're going to, we'll give you the same standing that you've had essentially in that we've, the women have had in the real world. I understand why that's a line. I understand, you know, it, it, it makes sense. You can applaud it. It, it. It's, it's not funny, but it is like, um, resonant, but like, yeah. I just thought, you know, this is, this is Barbie land and this is a movie and you know, what are we, what do we want? If there's, if there are young girls in the audience, like, do we want them to have this re retaliatory or, or, you know, eye for an eye type of feeling about, you know, once we take the reins of power, we will do to you what you have done to us historically for, for millennia. Like, I don't, I don't know yeah. how, um, ultimately progressive that is because ultimately because re the reality of it is that if you switched roles and if we had a matriarchy historically mm -hmm. which is i know a, a difficult like thought exercise because it's so far removed from what we've actually had but if you were able to do that and the roles were completely reversed in the exact same way that's also not right like just the, yeah, the yeah. fact that women have been that's also not right so like i don't like like yeah ethically or morally speaking so like again it's, it doesn't it didn't affect my enjoyment of the movie because, you know, you can just throw all that stuff out and yeah. you can throw that Easter Ray line out and, like, the movie just works as, as a pure piece of entertainment and it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, honestly, yeah, like, Easter Ray's comment about the Ken's joining the Supreme Court, it's, it was a very small thing that I, I found kind of like, oh, okay. Um, and, you know, as speaking as a woman, I'm not going to be speaking for all women when I say this, but I mean, in my eyes, like what seems fair for everyone is, and mostly what seems fair for women is that it's just that we all have like the same equal rights, which is kind of what I thought the movie was kind of going into. Because when you're thinking about it, you've got Barbie's existential crisis and you have Ken's existential crisis. It's two existential crises is happening. I mean, one, and it showcased right there in like in the entire movie, like that Ken tried to take over because he found his own, like, he found he found what he thought was the, like, the thing that could make him, him. He thought that he found, he thought he found, he found the patriarchy. He thought that that would be the thing that would change the way he feels. And obviously, that wasn't the case because he still had a bunch of feelings for Barbie. Yeah. Um, and so he still had this whole feeling going on, but... I just, I don't I don't think like that was a hundred percent necessary comment. I feel like if they were going to put something like that in there, then yeah, maybe it should have been like, okay, well, you know, we can merge together, but it's going to take a lot of work. I mean, as we know, even in today, it's going to take a lot of work because we do have some women on the Supreme Court right now, and it is yeah. taking it is taking work. Um, or well, they just could take that whole scene out of the movie. Yeah, I mean, as you were talking about right now, I was just thinking that <laughs> maybe the reason that was a response is because uh, that Ken was, and all the Kens likely are woefully um, unprepared and, and, you know, <laughs> undeserving of such a role in society. Because I don't think that, and that's actually a, a, a point I hadn't considered that, you know, if we're talking about these, you know, roles being occupied by people who are um, warranted to, like, fill them by virtue of their actual like 
qualifications. And if the Kens have just been spending all their time toiling away at the beach and doing beach and doing beach, yeah, beach <laughs> being their occupation and their whole existence, then, you know, it's probably best that they're not in the courts or, or in positions of power. So that's actually a different, that's a good point. I, I came, I came across this just now, but uh, I think that, you know, maybe that's, that's also a possibility, but then I think that's advocating for something else that is, <laughs> which is like a meritocracy, which is not also probably intended. So, yeah, you know, but but I, I don't I don't want to say that 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 didn't ruin anything for me. No. And in fact, I think that contradicts like what ultimately I feel ends up happening or, you know, thematically with the characters, because at the end of the movie, what does Barbie do? I mean, Barbie effectively rejects her existence as stereotypical Barbie and elects of her own she becomes self-deterministic enough to decide that she wants to be a human so so you know and and and, you know accepts all of the 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 complications that come along with that designation and so like and Ken does the same where he is no longer beholden his identity isn't just I'm Ken therefore I must have Barbie like and and that's where I, I talked about like when I mentioned dogmatism, it was a dogmatism of I am stereotypical Barbie. I am Ken. That is who I am. That defines everything about me. And my whole world revolves around that. By the end of this movie, both Ken and stereotypical Barbie have, have rejected those labels. And, and, you know, in Barbie's case, she has literally decided, has elected to become a full fledged person with all the perils and pitfalls that, that, that entails like and body parts yeah yeah and and genitals and and going to gynecologist and like all of the i mean you would think that you know because people don't die in barbie land people don't get sick you don't get menstrual cycles you don't have to deal with feminine products like all these things that seem terrible from an outsider's perspective uh she is voluntarily deciding to to go for why though because because like it's more important and it's it's better to to take on all those complications, but at the same time, what you're gaining is your ability to choose yeah. who and what you are and what you believe in and what you stand for, as opposed to being ascribed to it from from birth, just because or from whatever your your creation in a factory, yeah. because you are stereotypical Barbie and that's what it said on your box, and and because you are Ken and that's what it said in your box. Like we are not predestined to anything, and I think that's. That's ultimately what I came away from it. Mm-hmm. And you could see that through a, you know, again, kind of going back to the, the political parlance of the day, the woke perspective, because that does touch on a lot of things about self-identity and, and all that stuff that is relevant. And that's true, but it also applies to things like, you know, more, more tr- whatever, more traditional uh, concepts of like how we define ourselves in, in, our, in our cultural places like like our political affiliations like our like religious affiliations like our you know whatever our our class affiliations like all all these things if you want to just reduce yourself to being defined by that one thing you go ahead or to say that it is self predetermined because you were put into this position but i think the movie does a fantastic job of showing that that's doesn't have to be the case. You can choose yeah. for yourself. I feel like the my takeaway from the movie is that, you know, we're more than just what people see us as. 
that I think, yeah. like, I mean, people look at stereotypical Barbie and they'll think, oh, stereotypical Barbie. They think of Ken, think of Ken and Barbie. Like, I think it definitely shows that, you know, people and even dolls have depth to them. Like, they, people have, they're more than just what's on the outside. They have feelings, they have thoughts, they have these emotions running through their their whole body and so they're just more than what their occupation they're more than what their race is they're more than what their sexual orientation is they're just you know there's so much more than that that was like my biggest takeaway from the movie yeah yeah so don't you know don't don't judge them i guess based on that affiliation or that label alone Mm -hmm. um okay so is there anything else that you know we haven't touched on to this point that you feel like we should yeah, I, I kind of feel like part of the one of the things about the movie that made me kind of feel like a little, I guess, dissatisfied was the the lack of development for um, Michael Sierra's like Alan character. So we figure out later on that Alan is supposed to be Ken's buddy, and he's every single Ken's buddy in there. And the quote is that he, Alan fits into all of Ken's clothes. <laughs> that's his that's his tagline. Um, and at one point in the movie, you know, he like he tries to leave Bar uh, or Kendom or whatever the Ken land is because he just can't stand that anymore. And then he eventually just helps the Barbies break uh, all the other hypnotized Barbies um, roles so they remember who they are, um, and so they're not falling to the patriarchy, if you will. Um, but I just felt like his character was kind of a little under underdeveloped quite a bit, um, and actually even like quite a few of the um, quote-unquote malfunction Barbies because at one point we're seeing in Weird Barbie's house we've got um, Grow Up Skipper which that was interesting so I didn't know that that was an actual thing um, Chest Cam Barbie which I actually think I did have one of those when I was Chest like, Cam? Yeah, she was the Barbie that had a camera in the middle of her chest and on the back she had a screen so you can like record videos through Barbie Wow Yeah, that I forget who the actress who played her was Um but then also the character of uh, Midge, who was pregnant Barbie, yeah. <laughs> who got discontinued because, and I actually read an article that she got discontinued because Walmart customers thought that Midge was a teenager promoting mm-hmm. teenage pregnancy. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was very interesting. Um, and she was supposedly Alan's wife in that. Oh, but, really? Oh. Yeah. But, you know, it's a, I feel like there was a lot of uh, characters that were introduced. Not that every character needs to have like some kind of conclusion at the end of the movie, but if you make a point to talk about oh, Midge was Barbie's best friend who got canceled because pregnant Barbie is just weird. Like, I feel like it could have gotten a little bit deeper in that. And then the fact that Al- Michael Sierra's Alan's character had so many lines and eventually he was assisting Barbie, all the Barbies, in the movie, I feel like he could have had like a, sm- like a little bit of a resolution or something. Yeah, I mean, I think Al- Alan isn't a Ken. So he if he's, Ken. he doesn't, he's not obligated to align or ally himself with the Ken, so no. so there was that. I think you know, I, was he underbaked? Yeah, I honestly don't. I don't really recall what purpose he served, <laughs> other than kind of being funny, like and that's Michael Sarah. That's my point exactly. Is that he didn't really like serve. He didn't overserve or underserve in the movie. But I thought, and now this is just my perspective. I thought for sure that he was going to be coming out as like that. He was in love with. Ken mm, and yeah, Ryan Gosling's but... Ken, especially the scene where Ryan Gosling's running into the water and then he bounces off of the wave and flies into the air, like I mentioned earlier. Maybe um, there's some subtext there that I, I didn't catch. Maybe because his, be his cry was very, uh, it was very emotional. 
Right. Yeah. I don't. You know, I read today that like I know Michael Sarah played it and he was he was pretty good. Um, it was originally I guess supposed to go to Jonathan Groff. Really? Yeah, but I, I guess he couldn't do it because I think something with the pandemic because they filmed this during the pandemic and it required him to be in London for a certain amount of time that wasn't. Um, you know, so, but that that's in, in a little interesting bit of huh. casting. What ifs? You know, Christoph as Alan. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't. Uh, is there anything else? I, I was trying to think of like, I, there, there was a line that I believe Gloria, America Ferrer's character also, I think it was her who said it, where, and it might have been part of that speech that you mentioned, mm-hmm. that was, that you know, we, we agreed was, you know, our favorite part, um, but does she say something like, mothers stand still so that their daughters can look back and see how far they've gone. No, and I, that was um, that was Ruth Handler. Oh, okay. Who said that as the uh, towards the end of the movie before Barbie. Before she decides to, yeah, yeah that line really stuck out to me. Number one, because it was like a beautiful sentiment and like heartbreaking, because you know, and I'm not a mother, but like you know, I have a mother. You're a mother. Like I think it applies to both to senses, but like it was, but more so to, to motherhood, right? I think it was a beautiful sentiment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also it's funny because you know again this was Barbie Barbenheimer weekend and you got Christopher Nolan on the other side of this coin and so but it also reminded me of a line in a Christopher Nolan movie uh, which you know Christopher Nolan is sometimes maligned sometimes rightly for like his inability to affect emotion in his characters and in his films and just for dialogue in general but um, in, in Interstellar specifically, there's a line where Matthew McConaughey says that we're here to be the ghosts of our children's future. And it reminded me a little bit of that. I don't know, but I, that also was effective to me. And so I thought that that was, that was a great line. I just wanted to mention that. Um, that was honestly like one of my favorite scenes, like now looking back and thinking about it, because it was almost as if like she was looking at Barbie as if like she, you know, she was her daughter. Because she did name Barbie after her own daughter, her own daughter, Barbara. So yeah. it was just like watching her almost kind of grow up all over again. Yeah. It's very interesting. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think maybe like as a, as a fun exercise to wrap up, um, you know, wh- where would you rank this Barbie movie uh, among the 41 other Barbie movies that exist? I'm assuming you've seen them all, uh, the, the, all the animated uh, you know, one-hour Barbie movies. I probably, as an adolescent, <laughs> not as an adult, I probably have seen like maybe three of them. But I mean, I will say, Barbie and the Nutcracker was probably my best. That was, I think that was the first one. <laughs> I don't. Know. Let me. I'll just say that I don't have any actual knowledge of this. I was on last night while you know I, I wasn't sleeping when I should have been. I was on a Barbie wiki, um, <laughs> and. There were a lot. I was just, I was shocked to see how many Barbie movies there oh, were. there's tons of them. There have been a couple oh. that come out this year. Yeah. You know, actually, okay, I will say there are two Barbie movies, not counting this live action one that I do actually really like. It was Barbie and Nutcracker because I had the doll that came with the DVD. Naturally, so yeah. It was great. Um, and then Barbie the Princess and the Popper because that was just a really... It's very iconic right now, actually. It's trending on Instagram. You'll... The the princess and the popper Barbie is yes. trending? Yes, it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, I'm not clued into the trends, I think, yeah. on Instagram. I, I should get there. Can, can we just, can we just like, make a pact right now that, you know, when, when Emmy, our, our daughter, is old enough to start watching things, that this Barbie that we've just spent an hour plus 
I don't know, two hours, I don't know how long it's been, discussing is the only one she can watch. I, I don't, I really don't want to sit through 41, you know. I can't make any promises, but we can sure try our darnest. Yeah, I, I guess. I, this, and just one final thought that it's actually just brought up that like I, I, this movie I think is a great, like it's not, in terms of who's the audience, I don't know if it's necessarily for young girls. Um, I think they could definitely watch it and take enjoyment from it like they would any anything else for the, for the colors and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, but what I think it is, it serves as a great gateway movie. And it's a, a phrase that I said to, to my friend that I saw it with um, after the movie because it, it is like on its surface, it, it looks like a fun, you know, just great time in a movie theater or, you know, wherever you happen to be watching it. Uh, and it is that it does have that you know box office quality to it or blockbuster quality to it, but but there's also like a, a strangeness to it, yeah, and and a depth to it that like you know I think like movies in the past, like I think for myself specifically, like um, the like the Truman Show, you know, watching that as a as a young as a, as a kid essentially, you know, because I like Jim Carrey, thinking about Dumb and Dumber and <laughs> and you know the mask and all that stuff. Well, then you watch the Truman Show and it's like, what the heck was that? You know, and I wasn't really prepared for it and I didn't expect it. But it sort of opened my eyes to to the possibilities of what cinema can do. Uh, and so I think that this movie also has a, a chance of it being a classic, you know, in the sense of this is just a fantastic movie. But also in the sense of, you know, if you're of, the, of a certain age, this was the first movie I saw that made me think about movies in, in a different way. And so I think that's that's really cool, too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, for sure, if you, any of you out there have been listening and you haven't seen Barbie yet, you should absolutely go see it because it's, it honestly is just a treat on its own. Like, it's something that it's going to make you laugh. You may cry in it. For a summer, like, blockbuster movie, I, I think we're now kind of back in the blockbuster genre where for a while we were kind of just relying on Let's be let's face it, like Marvel movies to hold up our our summers, and I think like between this and Oppenheimer, we definitely have kind of reached back to that point where we have a variety of movies to look forward to. Um, uh, and this definitely being one of them. I dive. I hope this portends uh, a wider breadth of of choices in the future. Yeah. Because Lord knows we don't we don't need, we don't more, need more Marvel, Marvel. <laughs> more DC, more Star Wars and the like, but um you know that's we'll have to talk after we start record, after we stop recording about the Blue Beetle advertisements. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I read some I read some projections for that film today that really uh, are not great. Which um, sucks cuz I love that kid. He's in Cobra Kai. <laughs> yeah, no, he's I mean, I it sucks because a lot of people worked really hard in the movie. It's like I don't I don't want to say that those movies are, are worthless because that's not true. People put a lot of work and effort and artistry into no, it making them. It's time. just, you know, I think at the studio level, you know, they obviously they want to play it safe and, and go with what they think is going to make the most money. But I think they also have a tendency to run things into the ground to the point where people are just exhausted. And so we're, yes. we're reaching a tipping point, maybe, um, where we're seeing that audiences are not um, interested in, in venturing out to the movies because mo- venturing out to the movies nowadays is a much bigger ordeal than it ever has been and there are so many other options that are so much more readily available to people at home uh, now we're delving into another subject entirely but yeah I, I just hope that I hope that 
this but, does indicate that we're heading towards a more diverse yeah. film future. But in a way, I kind of hope that this podcast, for any of you listening out there, I hope this podcast almost inspires you to go out and watch movies and support the people who have worked so hard on making this movie. And this also includes the writers, the actors, the film crew, the lighting crew, sound, every everybody who is involved in their crew. Everyone deserves to be supported by having you go and watch their movies. So if you if if anything, like I hope this inspires you to like go out and have an adventure and enjoy your own time in the movie theater. Yeah, and then maybe, you know, buy a Barbie. Uh, buy a Barbie. <laughs> Mattel wants you to. Line the pockets of the, the corporate overlords of Mattel. Speaking of pockets, apparently there's a Polly Pocket movie coming out. <laughs> there, there is. <laughs> Lena Dunham is helming that. All right. I think this is a good way to end this podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening to our first episode of One Ticket 4. This has been our review on Barbie as a whole. Um, if you like you can give this podcast a like you can subscribe for more episodes we are going to be talking about oppenheimer next which is very very exciting um and if you want to support us even more you can follow us on instagram i created an instagram account called one ticket the number four podcast that's one ticket all spelled out the number four podcast and we will see you guys in the next episode bye bye